This is The One Thing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. The One Thing Podcast brings together leaders in functional and naturopathic medicine to discuss actionable information that may unlock puzzles in the areas of gut health, brain health, metabolism, and longevity. Please note, these episodes do not replace the opinion of your doctor. They are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition. Please discuss this information with your provider and discuss your own unique personal health history before adapting this information. Please subscribe to our episodes so that you can stay on top of the most current information in these areas of medicine. With so much talk about the gut microbiome and the role of gut bacteria in health and disease, we often forget that there are other organisms living in the gut, such as archaea, bacteriophages, helminths, viruses, and fungi. In today's episode, I welcome on a world expert in the microbiome, Dr. Mahmoud Ghanoum. He has spent a great deal of his career studying fungi and the role they play in health and disease. Dr. Ghanoum is a tenured professor at the director of the Center of Medical Mycology at Case Western Reserve University and University Hospitals Medical Centers. He is the founder of Biome, which is a consumer microbiome testing company in the United States, and the author of the book, Total Gut Balance, which is an outstanding book about the gut microbiome. In this episode, we do a deep dive into the role of fungi in health and disease. We discuss candida albicans and fungal dysbiosis. We talk about biofilm, testing for microbiome imbalances, and much more. Having someone grounded in science to discuss the topic of candida albicans was so helpful. This world of candida has been conflated for many years in various circles. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Make sure during the episode, if you if you can, to like, subscribe, and share these episodes with others so that we can continue to provide world-class content to you. So without further ado, welcome to the next episode of the One Thing Podcast. Welcome to the live stream episode of the One Thing Podcast. I'm here with Dr. Ganoom. I'm really delighted to have you on with us today. Welcome to the One Thing Podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Yes, yes. So we... um, Went through a lot of effort to make this happen. I really appreciate you, you uh, working around schedules, and uh, oh, I know you're you very know, busy. These, thank you very much. You know, these days, especially with the, what's going on with the COVID and other stuff, but it's really uh, fun to be able to finally come and speak together. Great, great. So I'd like to just start off learning about like your your typical day. Like what what's your typical day look like? Um, I know you're involved with a lot of things. I just I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, I I am an early riser, so I w- I wake up in the morning around maybe uh, five thirty. I uh, uh, take care of my dog, feed them, and this sort of thing, and then I go and exercise. I exercise daily about half an hour. And then once I do that, you know, I have some uh, uh, breakfast, uh, a coffee with my wife, and then go uh, to work. Usually, 
you know, the first thing I go, because I go early, I start dealing with the emails. And these days they are <laughs> more and more of them, which becoming challenging. Yes. But, but I, I do that. And then, you know, with this COVID uh, we live in, we have a lot of Zooms during the day. And so I keep do, going like this till about uh, 9.30, 10 o'clock. Then I go to my, I have two labs, one in the hospital and one at the Case Western. Uh, reserve university so what i do uh, i go from university hospitals uh, go up the stairs to see my uh, my people in uh, the team there and we go over the studies and you know have a couple of meetings uh, to discuss the progress of the work and if they have any issues and this sort of thing and then come back you know uh, do uh, not uh, i like to have light lunch a lot of uh, fruits and uh, uh, vegetables and uh, you know uh, just keep going keep going by the time the afternoon you know like maybe four or five o'clock I am really tired <laughs> okay so I come home and I enjoy taking my dog uh, Prince his name for a walk which really I love it because it gives you a break from running around all day and I find it to be physically and mentally very relaxing then I have dinner with my uh, wife, and uh, by eight o'clock, I am a dead person. I just okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I sleep in the sofa, and uh, you know, and repeat it. You know, rinse and repeat. Yeah, yeah, great. So um, the the lab work that you're you're doing right now, um, is I know you're also involved with the private sector a little bit with like sure. um, lab testing. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah. Uh, the center I, I direct has two components. One, it's a medical mycology, uh, Center for Medical Mycology, where I study fungus. I get funding from the National Institute of Health to study the pathogenesis of uh, candida and other fungi. Also, uh, to study the microbiome, especially the microbiome, which we can talk about, which is the fungal community. Also, what I do is I help uh, really pharmaceutical and biotech companies to develop their drugs. So I have a number of uh, models, the preclinical, you know, in test tube, as well as animals to evaluate uh, new drugs or drugs candidates, you know. Mm -hmm. And if things goes well, I also have a certified lab, which is we act as a central lab for clinical trials when they start giving the drug to patients and this sort of thing. So that's one, one uh, section of my lab. The other section is called integrated microbiome core, where I start looking at the microbiome, which is, as you know, a hot area. I started about 2008, 2009, and now we go into various aspects of the microbiome and health, whether it is gut health, cancer, or more recently, we are looking at autism and uh, stress as well. So, Great. yeah. Very interesting. And I know we're going to get into talking about this beautiful book that you wrote, Thanks. The Thanks. Total Gut Balance. Um, I just really enjoy it. It's really well put together and combination of science and practical suggestions um so the best kind of books thank so, you and so when we're talking about the the microbiome you know i think it's was helpful to understand that there are players um in this 
ecology that are beneficial. There are some that are potentially problematic. Maybe uh, breaking that down for us to, to understand the, the, the functions that the microbiome play that are um, sure. yeah, helpful you know, to us and potential you know, harmful. Yes, I think this is really a good way to put it because people should know that there are some good fungus as well as there is some bad fungus. And sometimes there are fungus that normally, such as candida, let's take candida because everybody talks about candida. Candida is present in maybe 50 to 70% of us, even when we are healthy. So it is an opportunistic organism. In other words, when it is pre present at low level or low abundance, it will not cause any issue, health issue for us. In fact, it could help us. Like when mm. you have candida in our gut, it breaks down some food, which bacteria can take and produce byproduct, which again, candida can benefit. So it's really very good cooperative or mutualistic interaction. The problem starts when you kill the good bacteria, such as lactobacillus. You know, lactobacillus yeah. is one of those uh, probiotic strains, which is beneficial. So when you kill it, what happens, candida start to overgrow. And when it overgrows, it takes over. And you know, it's very interesting, this interaction, because what happens when it overgrows, it can keep lactobacillus under control. So it's as if, okay, now I am uh, more of me available. Let me keep that bacteria that so another nice interaction for us to understand is that there are at good times, as long as it's low level, the fungus, which is pathogenic, is uh, beneficial. We should not let it overgrow because it could cause trouble. Mm -hmm. One last point I want to talk about. We forget about the good fungus, such as Saccharomyces, Saccharomyces mm -hmm. cerevisiae, for example. Yeah. Yeah. This is, as you know, we use it in baking and beer making. This is very good yeast also present in our gut, which by the way, when it is there, it really is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's even, and we can talk about later, you know, probiotic supplementation with yeast, such as Saccharomyces boulardii. Sure. Uh, and uh, so, you know, there's a good point you make in the book about the fact that a lot of the information around candidiasis and yeast dysbiosis has sort of been marred in pseudoscience or, you know, in just sort of, well, if we don't know what to call it, let's call it candida, you know, kind of like thrown in as a, um, almost like a catch-all diagnosis. Um, and I think it's really good of some of the things that you talk about in the book that really delineate where where this is something really to hang your hat on. Um, can you kind of go into that? Yeah, sure. Like, as you said, you know, there was, when I, many, many years ago, when I first came to the U.S., I went to a meeting and everybody is talking about the yeast connection. Right. You know, where people say anything you have, you know, uh, any health issues, actually, whether it's gut, whether brain fog or whatever, they used to blame it on candida, okay? But in fact, it is not, uh, this is not the case because as I mentioned, candida could be present. In fact, we have it in our mouth, in our gut. I, I can give you a laugh. When I was uh, teaching, uh, 
uh, undergraduate many years ago, I told them, listen, why don't we have uh, a test? Let's I see, take a swab and let's see how many of us have candida. And you know, it was more than 50% ha had candida in their oral cavity, in the mouth. Yeah. Whereas if you think about it, if you become, let's say, HIV-infected patients, you know, AIDS right. patients, they have their immunity is down, so then you have a problem with candida. So it's very right. important to differentiate between the two and put it into perspective. Right, yeah, and, you know, when, when I was first introduced to candida or candida syndromes um, back in um, 2002, 2003, we were actually working on an HIV clinic uh, in the HIV clinic. And that was before HIV really had well, man um, better management. You know, most of the patients weren't doing so well. And yes, the first thing we would do is look in their mouth and lo and behold, uh, thrush, um, which is that oral candidiasis was common. And we were, we would spend a lot of time trying to get that under control. Yes. Um, so it's, you know, it's interesting though, because with, chronic illnesses and chronic lifestyle and stress and various other um, environmental stressors that we face today that uh, a number of patients who don't fit the category of like the severe immune suppress will develop issues with yeast, correct? Yes, yes. And that's, as you can imagine, it's because of the dysbiosis or imbalance in our gut microbiome. If you have an imbalance, then you will start to develop uh, as a yeast infection and other other sorts of uh, uh, bacterial uh, even dysbiosis, uh, uh, which could affect our immunity. And as you know, when our immunity is weakened, candida could start to cause issues. Because, mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of the time I tell, I remind people that candida is an opportunistic organism. In other words, it takes the opportunity when we have uh, whether uh, immu our immunity is down whether you have a cancer, whether you, in transplant patients, for example, other fung fungi can come. So definitely this balance is very, very important and need to be uh, uh, co controlled. Uh, but, but normally, as I mentioned, I really don't worry about candida. Uh, and in the book, as you know, we gave some guidelines how we people to hopefully reduce the effect of or the increase in the abundance of candida. Yep. Yep. Well, since you're a researcher, I would love to kind of have you take us on a journey to the mucosa of the gut. And like if we were in a lab looking under some type of imaging at an environment that um, has become overtaken with candida albicans yeah. for example um what would what would the mucosa look like because you know it's you talk about you use a lot of great analogies in the book which i really love um Thanks. so um I, I would just love to hear your yeah. take on like standing in the mucosa and looking around in this environment what would we see okay that's really very interesting a uh, question because you are absolutely right when it when candida let's look at candida as we said when it is not over uh abundant or not overgrown it's fine 
it will live like with other organisms like bacteria and they work together and if in fact they help each other as i mentioned so now let's say now candida started to increase and i give you a good example we looked at crohn's disease patients okay and as you know crohn's disease patients they have a lot of inflammatory symptoms mm -hmm. and what we found we found that there is an increase in candida especially candida tropicalis other scientists uh, or investigators showed that also candida albicans increase. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we saw that there is an increase of bacteria, E. coli and Serratia marcescens. These are two pathogenic bacteria, which means they cause disease. And to come to your question is, for the first thing they do when they come together, they adhere or they stick to the epithelial lining our coverage the epithelial cell lines that cover you know that basically uh, really uh, keep our uh, gut uh, intact and not uh, perforated or leaky for example okay so they come there they adhere once they adhere they start to talk together and they start to form what we call a biofilm okay the best example of a biofilm for people listening is really like the plaque in our teeth the plaque in our teeth are biofilms yeah and as you know what we do we clean our teeth to get rid of it unfortunately we cannot do the same for our gut right so let's go back then to with respect to the imagery okay so they stick there they start to grow and they start producing these carbohydrates or polysaccharides that it's like jello you know it's like jello that covers them and then as they cover them, they start to change their shape. Like candida, instead of becoming like a yeast or like oval shape, it starts to form what we call hyphae or, or like filaments, a little mm -hmm. threads, a little threads. And these threads, they come into our cell lining and they start to poke, to poke holes in it, you know, start to invade it. And when this happens, then we start to have leaky gut and other issues associated with it. So to me, for people to imagine, look as if you have a tent. Within this tent, there are all these microbes, bacteria and fungus working together, and they are covered by like uh, jello, okay? And that's where the jello is sitting on top of your gut lining. Mm -hmm. And they change form, right? Yes, they, they change form from being oval or rounded, let's say, a little bit round, round cells, what we call yeast. They change form, become elongated. It's become like thread we call hyphae or filaments. And these hyphae, you, it's, it's fascinating when you look at them. I did studies before. At the tip of the hyphae or at the tip of the thread, if you will, phospholipase or phospholipases, which means they break down the lipids in our cells and to go in. Also, they secrete other proteinases, which can break the lipids, sorry, the proteins. So you have something, an enzyme that can break down the lipids, and the other that can break down the proteins and allow them to invade. Wow. Yeah, so um, that's a highly intelligent system, and, you know, it just kind of makes me wonder, you know, where, what the advantage is for, you know, is the yeast trying to get into 
our system? Is that a better place for it? Is that what you see? What happens normally when it is in our gut and we are healthy and it is not overgrown, it stays there and you know it doesn't bother us. It helps us. But once you have a an overgrowth of it, of course it wants to invade. It wants to invade to go to our bloodstream. Okay. In fact, the first time a scientist, uh, a German scientist, in fact, did a study. What you know what he did? These days they will not allow you to do that. He drank some candida. He had some, he grew candida cells and he uh, drank it. And guess what? It forms and it invaded his bloodstream. And he had, he nearly died, but he didn't. But this was the first evidence that candida, when it overgrows, it can cross the gut barrier, you know, and cause a systemic infection, infection all over the body, especially the kidneys and this sort of thing and the brain. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we're learning so much about once that barrier is breached, um, how that affects other organs and other functions. Can you just chime in on what your kind of, uh, basic understanding of the down downstream effect of that is the downstream effect is the first thing happens when candida goes through and invade these cells go towards our organs for the the number one is the kidney especially in the mm -hmm. case of candida other fungus sometimes go to the lung but we are talking about candida it goes to the kidney and you can imagine when it start it goes into the kidney and start to proliferate or overgrow, then it we will have kidney failure, okay? And the other thing, if it is not treated, we left it untreated, it will start to go to the brain. And we did studies, we found that, you know, when you inject a, a, an animal to, to understand the disease, it goes from the kidney at the very beginning. But after two, three days, you find that you find it in the brain as well, mm. you know? So it starts to spread systemically, or we call it disseminated candidiasis. It goes to the spleen, it goes all over. And really, if we don't treat it, and we don't think about fungus when somebody has it, a lot of the time could lead to death, okay? Okay, interesting. And so um, the, you know, the, natural uh kind of questions that come out from from this is like besides the obvious um you know seeing thrush in the mouth and you know those types of things and maybe like chronic yeast infections like vaginosis those types of um conditions how how would someone feel on a daily basis that has like a yeast issue like I mean, there's bacterial issues, there's viral issues. There is there like a flavor to the yeast scenario that um, kind of would tip someone to think that they have a yeast issue? And uh, I think we need to look at our, our uh, listen to our body, you know. Like if you start to have, uh, you know, sometimes it could lead to some bleeding, you know, uh, 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 in our fecal sample. Sometimes you have a pain as well, some pain, you know. Uh, so if you think it is fungus, then what you need to do, first of all, people a lot of the time, they just treat bacteria, you know, right. they think bacteria only. Like to us, 
it's very important to start thinking fungus. If you take antibiotic and it doesn't go, then guess what? You need to start to think of fungus to treat it. And if you give somebody an antibiotic and four days and you still have fever and whatever, don't just switch to a broader spectrum antibiotic or another antibiotic. Think fungus. Because right. if we don't think fungus, it could be detrimental. Right, know? right. Yeah, I remember reading some research um, not too long ago, maybe like four or five years ago, about the differences between small intestinal fungal overgrowth and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Yes. And there was a, there was a few features about the yeast symptoms that were slightly different, but they did, there was a lot of overlap. I think um, nausea was mentioned as being more common in yeast. Is that what you have seen? Yes, yes. The nausea definitely is one of them as well. Uh, if you have uh, uh, SIBO versus uh, SIFO, yeah. Like. So your book does a really good job of helping people go through like a questionnaire and kind of understand maybe their own unique dysbiosis. Um, can you just briefly share like some highlights about the, I think you use three different subtypes. Yeah, what we did is you really need to look at, there is a checklist, which is risk factors. So you look at where you born, for example, C-section. Where Do you, do you have uh, uh, antibiotics too, too often? Do you, uh, you look at all of these that could have uh, uh, issues with the GI tract. Now, to try to refine this, recently, uh, my, my company called Biome Health what we did, we did a new test called uh, guttesting.com. Okay. And what in that, we refined it more. We looked at thousands of people who sent us samples, and we looked at people with dysbiosis, and we tried to identify what factors could tell you you have dysbiosis. And it's a checklist. You can, it's the more refined than that in the book, okay? And... If you check those, at least you check three different things in it, then you certainly have uh, dysbiosis, okay? Now, the other way you can do it is you can, of course, take a test, microbiome gut test, where you send a stool sample or fecal sample, mm -hmm. and then we analyze it. And there are other companies that do that as well. You analyze it where you see your profile compared to healthy people. And based on this, you will be able to tell. And we looked at both bacteria and fungus, okay? So we look at, for example, the level of Candida albicans, Tropicalis, you know, and Glabrata. At the same time, we look at, do we have Saccharomyces, for example, because we need, it's good to have Saccharomyces. So you look at the beneficial organism and those that are pathogenic, and the balance between them will guide our nutritionists to say, look, okay, you should... Uh, these are the following uh, recommendations, whether dietary, lifestyle, and supplements. Gotcha. So I've done a lot of the PCR tests over the years, um, and it seems like it's really hard to pick up yeast on those. Um, is there something about your technology that's, um, or the way that you're testing that's different to, to really zoom in on the yeast population? Sure. Uh, PCR, usually, you have you do what you call quantitative PCR, which you have a probe specific for a given uh, species. 
because as you know, there are different species of candida. Right. Which we mentioned some. Whereas now the new technology, which next generation sequencing, what it does, it really looks at uh, markers called ITS, internal transcribed uh, sequence, where it can identify not only one or, uh, candida, but can identify all other species as well. So it is more sensitive than uh, PCR. Okay. Okay, so um, that's the technology you're using is kind of the, um, the you said ITR? Uh, ITS, ITS. ITS, okay. And it really, it, it takes the DNA of the microbes in your gut and then sequence using special primers that can detect different fungus. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Okay. And like the old test of like uh, ONP cultures com in comparison, um, you know, those are highly specific, right? But not very sensitive. Exactly, not very sensitive. When you use the culture-based approach, mainly you can grow candida and saccharomyces but you cannot grow everything else, you know, like even different uh, species of candida, it may not grow. Uh, so that's why the non-culture based, which is DNA based, you know, is much more sensitive and much uh, accurate. Okay. And then this world of metabolomics, um, where we're looking at um, the byproducts or the metabolites that yeast produce, um, and measuring those, is that something that is ready for prime time or is that just, is that the future? I think this is really the future. I think this is a very important area because not only will we'll be able to detect whether somebody has disease or not, it's going to allow us also to understand how these fungus can cause the disease and what do they do, how they affect our immunity, how they do this. So I, to me, I think it's the next generation of this studies. And in fact, we started to do this. We looked at, you know, it's very interesting. Remember, we talked about how we found uh, Candida tropicalis, E. coli, mm -hmm. and Syracia. What we did, we looked at their metabolites, what small chemicals they secrete. And we looked at each one alone, and then we looked at them when they are together. And what we found, there are 199 sort of metabolites secreted. But we found when they are together, there are seven of them are uh, differentiated differently. Like it's really unique to the fact hmm. that when they come together. So now we are going after those because those will allow us to understand how the disease uh, uh, or, or the effect of Candida in this. In fact, I have a, a, a grant from the National Institute of Health called R01, you know, which is investigator initiated the grant to look at the interaction between bacteria and fungus, including the metabolites they secrete. So I wow. hope <laughs> I hope Very we can get something. Yeah, this is the future. Wow. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's always been my understanding that one of the metabolites is like an aldehyde or has kind of like a alcohol like effect. Um, especially when you start 
removing yeast, people can feel really sick. Um, is that uh, is that a thing, or um, are, are we are you seeing that um, in 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 the lab, or is that just sort of a concept that is just out there? You know, I think it's it is still concept out there. As I said, I'm really looking very hard into this area, and I'm collaborating with the, uh, colleagues of mine who are in the gastroenterology. You know, and we are trying to put uh, uh, you know the yeast and start to look at the metabolites as well as at the immune response, because how do they affect our immunity as well? Mm -hmm. And we have a paper which should come out really very soon, it's sort of accepted, but the reviewers wanted some more uh, things to be done. But it's very interesting. We found that, you know, having this uh, uh, a, a, a candida can affect our uh, immune markers, okay? Cytokines, like uh, I'll, I, uh, interleukin-6, for example, and this sort of thing. And now we are also looking, can we use probiotics to keep this under control? And, yeah. we, and you know, it's very interesting mentioning the metabolites. We have a probiotic, which is uh, uh, in the market, uh, Biome Probiotic. We started looking at the strains. Do they produce metabolites, okay, that are beneficial? We are still doing it. I. I, we are, we detected some, but I like to wait till we have more solid data and this sort of thing. But definitely, this is bring us back to the same idea. What you said is metabolites now or in the future. I think it's going to be very soon in the future. Oh, good, good. So I know one of your passions is nutrition and food, and you know the the approach to healing the body through through those modalities. First of all, I'd like to just kind of hear where that came from like in you um and you know like what what drew you to the world of nutrition and kind of food as as a medicinal um approach and then i just love to hear some highlights about um your general philosophy about nutrition as it approaches the yeast dysbiosis yeah. i can tell you the first time i started looking at the nutrition or the nutrients to deal with candida was many years ago. In fact, I have a paper which was published in 1988. What happens, a friend of mine at the, the department where I, I was uh, working, teaching uh, microbiology, he every morning he comes and tell me, he knew I, I work on candida, in candida, of course. He said, you have to study garlic. I said, just <laughs> leave me alone. I don't want to study garlic. <laughs> Uh, but the guy was such a good guy. Guess what? I started working on, okay, will garlic affect candida? And in fact, I published three papers after that on the effect of candida, oh, sorry, effect of garlic, which as you know, called allium sativum on candida. And it was really fascinating study. We showed that it, it affects the uh, ultrastructure, the morphology of the cell. It, you know how the cell is yeast or hyphae? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It breaks it down. It starts causing the cell to collapse and die. And then when we look chemically into that, we saw that it affects the lipids in, our in the cells of candida, as well as the proteins in the cells mm -hmm. of, of candida. And that's how it kills it. So that was my first encounter with the uh, diet 
Yeah. Uh, you know, and mo- of course, after I did my work in Crohn's disease in 2016, people start reaching out uh, to me and uh, asking, so what can we do about it? And that's where my son, Afif, he told me that we have to make a company to understand this. And really, we went full throttle to try to understand how candida is affected by diet and this sort of thing. And that's what really culminated in the book, as you say, Total Gut Balance. Wonderful. Yeah, and I was introduced to your book from a um, Crohn's disease patient. And I don't think a lot of people really understand the Crohn's yeast connection. But um, I mean, one of even there's certain diagnostic tests that are using Crohn's to look at um, certain antibodies to yeast, correct? Yes, yes. Uh, which is like, uh, it's really was developed based on uh, uh, Saccharomyces. But yes, they use it. Uh, Piasca. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, exactly, exactly. And what they do really uh, now, now in our study in the Crohn's disease, we found, we found that people with a high elevated level of the ASCO, whereas uh, the normal did not. So there is definitely a correlation uh, in that. I see. Great. And so, um, oh, that's interesting. You know, the, uh, and so your, your son is involved now with helping um, with the company. Yes. Company. yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. It, it, it's fun, you know, to have a, uh, I never thought I'd work with my son, you know, yeah. he's, he's a lawyer, but honestly it's fun. And sometimes, uh, we, we, I shout at him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, he said that leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> so we have, we have good fun. We have good. That's fun. wonderful. Yeah. So, um, moving forward with your your uh your company just I, I would love to kind of hear more about like what how what you're you're up to you talked a little bit about the yeah. metabolites is there any is there any test going to come out where we understand that biofilm is developed um are we going to be able to one day you know do a lab test and and indicate that someone has a biofilm issue or is it just sort of presume that there's biofilm you know, I worked on biofilm for many years before this, before the gut issue. You remember when somebody goes into hospital, okay, they put catheters mm-hmm. and these catheters, organisms stick and form biofilm. Right. And, and we re- to come back to your question, is there a test? We tried to look at certain proteins which are specific to the biofilms so that we can use them for uh, detection, you know? And honestly, we were unable to do it, and many people could not do do it. It's very difficult to to uh, identify it and image it because you know you need biopsy, you need stuff which is not possible uh, at all. So it's not as easy to do a test to tell you whether you have a biofilm or, or not. Uh, yeah, at, at the moment, at least. Yeah, yeah I think it, that would be really helpful clinically. Um, you know, because now at, at this point, basically people who are non-responders to treatments that should work, we assume there's some biofilm at play. That uh, Sure, sure. I think, I think uh, one way is like what we talked about is if you expect or you, su- you suspect that you have 
uh, gut issues with candida. I really think taking the gut test, microbiome gut test will help you. At least it will tell you if you have uh, candida or not, you know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it's not specific to tell you whether you have biofilm. You assume it is in a, a biofilm. You know why? Because these organisms are in our gut and they are not free floating. It's not like in the lab, you know? Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm kind of getting into sort of the minutia of this and I apologize, but this is a topic oh. that I'm very passionate about. But I've always wondered if, you know, we're not able to pick up on candida or other organisms on some of the lab tests because they are ducking out in biofilm. And that's kind of what, why we're there. They uh, evade testing. You know, this is really very, very important area. And for years, even now we have a test diagnostic tests that does not show you, even though we know from, uh, biopsies or, or uh, that it is there okay so to me we have some tests which are like for example beta deglucan test beta deglucan test is a good test that could complement the culture testing okay so i think and that's you take a sample of blood you measure it if you see this beta deglucan then the chance of you having the or the uh, candida is high so yeah. we are getting better better in this area, but it's not perfect, you know? Right, right. Wonderful. Well, um, I'd love to hear more about um, ways people can learn from you and learn um, what you're up to. Are you, are you um, doing any programs or any kind of education uh, along with the book that you wrote? Yes, you know, I'm starting to get, I prepared actually some uh, continued education uh, uh, presentations to educate people about the microbiome and how its effect, give you over a few uh, overview of the uh, effect on inflammation, leaky gut and this sort of things. And also what I'm trying to do is writing an article uh, demystifying the microbiome, you know, mm -hmm. and publishing it. I recently published a, an article which uh, uh, you heard about microbiome-based approach to uh, really manage depression during COVID, you know? So mm -hmm. I'm trying to be all the time to be uh, uh, publish, you know, so that people know. And uh, we also have at Biome Health, there is a microbiome report where we have podcasts uh, Andrea, who, who runs that, she meets different people to try to educate people about our gut and this sort of thing. Also, Biome Health, we have a lot of information now uh, to uh, uh, help people understand with their gut. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, yeah. Okay. Well, in, in closing, is there any sort of parting words that you could maybe share to like a clinician that's listening to this or a patient that might be struggling with? with uh, thinking they might be dealing with a candida or a fungal or microbiome issue? I really think it's very important to, for clinicians to start expanding their knowledge in this area because it is very clear based on really huge number of peer-reviewed articles that the microbiome play a role in this business. 
it is very complex situation. So I really encourage them to learn this because I believe by understanding the microbiome and the possibility of this biosis is there, microbiome will be a new tool to help their patient. Okay. So with respect to the people, I, I am a great believer in you need to listen to your body. Try to follow few things which are going to help you but if you have gut issues. Number one, diet is very, very important. Please follow the diet that is healthy. Try to cut, uh, as we mentioned, sugar. Try not to eat processed food, uh, you know, packaged food with uh, a lot of sweeteners, for example. Uh, not very good. Try to, in addition to eat some fibers, eat some cruciferous fruit, uh, vegetables. And finally, I really think you need to also look at lifestyle it will be very important to start to do a bit of exercise. You don't have to kill yourself. Moderation mm -hmm. is the way to go. So exercise, try to reduce stress. And I mean, it's easier said than done these days, but try to do some meditation, try to do yoga, go out for hikes, because stress, even if you eat the best food, guess what? We, you still can have microbiome imbalance. And finally, if you can also help yourself by having a little bit better sleep, that will be really fantastic. But all in all, talk to your loved ones, talk to people, share your issues, because it's always will be helpful. And I wish you all the very best. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Ghanoum. Um, this was really enlightening. A lot of really good information came out of it. Thank you very much. And really appreciate the fact that you have me and have a great day. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the One Thing Podcast. Please share these episodes with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, patients, healthcare providers, anyone who you feel might benefit from hearing these informative interviews. We tend to learn best from people sharing things with us. That's often the first time it's introduced. So don't hesitate if these, the content of these episodes reminded you of someone that might benefit from that. Forward the, the episode to them, and I'm sure they'll either appreciate it or be appreciative that you've thought of them. So once again, we'll look forward to seeing you next episode on the One Thing Podcast. And again, much appreciation for you being here with me.